How do you look someone in the eyes when you're having a video chat? How do you feel connected to your teams when you're a bunch of separate boxes on a screen? Working from home the past couple of years has certainly changed the dynamics of how we communicate. Sometimes it's been harder to feel that sense of connection and belonging to our teams. At the same time, technology has given us the opportunity to connect even more. We have glimpses into people's lives at home, and we're better able to connect with our global colleagues. So how do we foster connections in a new hybrid working model that's split between multiple workspaces? And how do we do that meaningfully and equitably? This is what we're talking about in today's episode of Resilience at Google. I'm Lauren Witt, the head of Global Resilience at Google. In this podcast series, we're pairing neuroscientists and psychologists with mental performance coaches to uncover the science behind resilience and to help us put into practice tips and strategies to respond to change and daily challenges. Today, we have a conversation with Vanessa Druskett, an applied social psychologist at the University of New Hampshire. She is an expert on connection and teams in the workplace. What we know from evolutionary psychology and from social neuroscience is that the brain craves connection. If you want to build trust, if you want to build psychological safety, you have to connect. And with her, we have Brian Miles, a mental performance coach who's worked closely with the U.S. military and professional baseball teams. Can we start to cultivate an environment where we're telling you we care about you and we want you to be successful? When things are hard, we figure it out as a group and support each other, and we're able to push through and grow in that. They're here to tell us why we need to feel a sense of belonging value and purpose in order to bring our best work to our teams. This is our next episode, Connection. Vanessa, Brian, thank you for joining us on our podcast here today. We are excited to have a conversation around community, community building relationships and how important they are not only to performance, but to business and to be able to accomplish our goals and our strategies. And we talk often at Google that resilience is really grounded and rests on the shoulders of relationships. And so I am super keen to dive into this conversation with both of you today. And our intent really is to answer Googler questions. We've collected some of their top questions these days around community and relationship building, and we're going to dive into answering those questions today. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Vanessa, let's start with you. An applied social psychologist. What does it mean? What is it that you do? Good question. Uh, well, social psychology is the field of studying how the situation impacts behavior. I've been studying teams for 30 years and looking at how the situation, the environment you create in a team impacts people's behavior, impacts their motivation, and whether or not they can perform at their best. 
I'm so excited to dive into that. At Google, we prioritize working in teams. We focus on collaboration and innovation around teamwork. And a lot of times it's these team dynamics and the team norms where connection is such a crucial part. Brian, you're a mental performance coach and you focus on helping people to be their best, both in individual and team settings. What does that mean and what do you do? I try to help high performers be wildly, incredibly deliberate with their intent, their habits, and their decision making, and really the belief that their mind can help them be the best versions of themselves. And I also want to be very clear, high performance is not just professional athletes. It is people in the boardroom. It is nurses and doctors. And as a parent myself, it is parenting. And so um, these skills transfer and they absolutely play in all domains of life. Yeah, we're all just trying to be our best at whatever it is that we're doing. And there are habits and behaviors that we must activate in order to build those and grow those and cultivate those mental skills. And so let's jump straight in with the first question that Googlers are asking us is, why is connection so important in the workplace? Vanessa, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. What we know from evolutionary psychology and from social neuroscience is that the brain craves connection. And in particular, it craves a close connection where you're known, you're felt, you're understood, and you're cared for. So in the ideal you have connection with people in your workplace where people know you and care about you. And what I find in my research is that people don't necessarily care about you and know your strengths unless they get to know you. So spending time where you actually get to know people and you disclose information about yourself can help build a connection that is valuable because we start to care about one another and support one another. You put it so eloquently, but it's actually quite complicated. And there's so many layers to our ability to share ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm brought in to work with teams at all levels. I've worked with teams at the shop floor of plants, and I've worked with CEO level teams. And interestingly, the issues are often very similar across the levels. Our need to connect, our need to belong, to a group where we feel known and cared about is a primal need. It's not something that we can control. Matthew Lieberman, a social neuroscientist, says that organizations aren't designed for our social needs, the needs that we now are completely aware exist. I think you're right, Vanessa. I think the last couple of years have given us an opportunity to pause and reevaluate and reassess what is necessary and what is important as we define our cultures and begin to move forward into this future of work. To be able to share a few things from the Google perspective, we have an organization called PyLab, our People Innovation Lab. They do quite a bit of research inside of Google. Over the last couple of years, they've had the opportunity to 
look at connectedness and how important connectedness is for Googlers to A, be successful, but also B, to have positive and productive well-being. Connectedness is a huge part of positive well-being. So one of the things that they talk about is social connection and meaningful interaction and meaningful interaction versus just a social interaction are two very different things. But I'm curious from your perspective, what separates it from being meaningful versus just being another activity we need to check the box on around connectedness before we move on? Oh, that's a brilliant question. Because I often see these days team leaders doing things that I just don't think are meaningful. You can play games, have fun, and you can get to know each other through that. But the meaningful piece for me is discussions around what's going on now. How is this affecting our work? What I find is that people like to make sense of what's going on with others. So we have a need, and again, it's a primal need, to check in with others to find out whether or not they're perceiving the situation the same way we are. And especially right now when everything's constantly changing, you know, with COVID and the situation is in in flux and people need to check out what's going on. How are you doing? How are you managing this? Give me some ideas. Give me some hints. What are your best practices right now? So if you can relate it to, you know, the workplace or what you're doing or how we can support one another, there are conversations that you can have together where you're really peeling off the layers and you're getting to know one another better. And you're also creating a shared sense of reality with one another. And so I I highly recommend that. The other thing I highly recommend is to ask people, what do you want to talk about? What would be useful for you? I mean, I'm always telling team leaders that they don't need to know everything. What they need to do is ask their people what they need, especially if you ask them and they have a chance to talk about it amongst themselves, then they'll build off one another's ideas and they'll come up with something that's really useful. We encourage uh, managers at Google to have well-being one-on-ones and really having that time set aside to ask, how are you? What's going on? What are the top things in your life that you're trying to accomplish for your own well-being? And also that sense of belongingness and connection in there. And we also have another check-in that we use often called the T check-in. And it's really kind of takes that emotional component out of it for folks who aren't quite ready to go down that road. It's how are your thoughts? How is your energy? And where's your attention? Are you able to put those in the places that you want to put them? And it's hard for managers and leaders sometimes to cross that barrier of professional leader and asking about somebody's personal life or how they're doing, navigating uncertainty. Brian, I'm curious from your perspective, you work in a very high performance. Everyone knows the faults because professional baseball games are on television. How do they build connection with each other and be vulnerable as leaders responsible for this mass group of people's performance? It's interesting. And I don't think it's as easy as perhaps people maybe look and see on TV. 
listen, there's a lot of downtime in baseball, everybody. I just want to be very clear. We are at the ballpark for a very long time. And so you're not always out there practicing and you're seeing these sort of informal connections where a coach will go and sit down with the group of players. And I think you start to hear about some of their experiences. What our players see is they, they see our, our coaching staff willing to learn, willing to listen, willing to adjust. That opens up the relationship for those players being more willing to receive feedback and to receive information from that staff. And I think as, as we really think about how we can push and help those individuals grow and get better, it's about having true awareness of what that player needs in that moment. You might have something for them that they can fix in their game, but are, are you aware enough of, of what's going on with them? Is this the right time? Is this, is this the opportunity to give them that feedback? Will it actually make them better? Will they, are they ready to hear it? Are they ready to listen? Are they ready to implement it? Do they have the skills to do that? I think the best leaders think about those things. And, and there's, there's leaders on the other end of the spectrum who are just like, I'm the leader, I'm going to give you this, and that's that. That's a brilliant point, Brian. My question is, who's coaching the coaches? The truth that I know is so much depends on the leader. The leader has higher level status. The leader really defines the situation. And honestly, one of the most important things leaders do is they set a context so that they're not the only one that's listening and caring, but that they're building an environment where others are listening and caring too. But here's the point. It's hard to do that when no one's taking care of you. And so this is why I think it really has to go all the way up. If you're not taking care of the people that are taking care of others, it's really hard. But, but I also want to come back to something that, that you've, I've heard you say before, Brian, you can control what you can control. And as a leader, that's what you need to do. And that's what I tell people, control what you can. But when you are the leader, please be aware that the way you set up the situation and the way you treat people affects the situation and that you want to create an environment where people care about one another and recognize that their performance is better when they support one another. Because when we're in environments where we don't feel that, the brain detects threat. The brain is funny in group situations. It's not just only looking at how the leader feels about the person. It's looking at the context and saying, how do others think of me? And so what you really want to do is create an environment where you push that off the table because you're wasting your cognitive resources worrying about what others think. And what you want is to build an environment where you know people are supporting you, they're rooting for you. They all wanna give you the feedback and the encouragement and support as much as possible, right? And you can embrace the comfort that comes with being in an environment where people care about one another. The brain's job is to help us survive. Its job is to sense threat. And what are the triggers? Uncertainty change, struggle, and not knowing where to put our attention. Like those four words, ironically, describe a high performance environment in professional sports, right? But what I'm hearing you say, Vanessa, is can we start to cultivate an environment where one, we recognize that that stuff happens, and two, we are actually setting an environment where we're, we're, we're telling you that regardless of those triggers, we care about you and we want you to be successful. When things are hard, we figure it out as a group and support each other, and we're able to push through and grow in that. That's 
everyone's best experience. That's yep. when I talk to people about their best team experiences, they often go back to some sports situation that they were in where people had their back. And yes, they're still competing with each other. You know, that's not antithetical to creating an environment where I still have your back and I want to help you be the best that you could possibly be. That's everyone's ideal. And yes, you can create it. Lauren, how does this work at Google? At Google, the word that keeps coming to mind is psychologically safe. Our, our team environment's a safe place for us to bring all of ourselves, to bring our worldviews and our perspectives and our experiences prior to now in order to be able to enhance our overall team performance. There's research that we use a lot in our Google program that goes back to one of the pioneers of applied psychology, and his name is Kurt Lewin from the early 1900s. And he says that behavior is a function of both the individual and the environment. So we know that an investment in individual skills can only take us so far. And then the next step is that we need to focus on and be intentional with the environment that we're building. Managers and leaders have a lot of responsibility around that environment and the norms that they're asking their people to grow in and to operate in. So Brian, how can we create that sense of connectedness and establish or enhance team norms in these group settings? The best way I've seen this done is obviously modeling the behaviors that we want to see from those around us. And the reason that I come back to modeling is because I've seen it done really well. I've seen our president and GM of our organization in the off season walk out of the office at 3 p.m. and literally be walking around telling everyone to get out because they value family and they value rest and recovery. I've also seen it on the other side, and, and Vanessa is where I've heard you say about, about self-awareness of leaders, right? Not understanding that the norms that they set or the little things that they say impact the group below them. So being incredibly deliberate about your language as a leader and what you're doing and what you're saying, because people are oftentimes afraid to tell you what you're doing because you're the leader and you set the norms. And that's, that's the part that I've heard from Vanessa talk about is, how self-aware are the leaders? Yes. So, you know, norms are what's normal around here. Who defines what's normal? And I've studied this and um, others have studied it. And what it comes down to is people with status. And who's got the most status? It's the leader. It's also other people in the team with status. Our brains are super wired to identify who's got status and who doesn't have status. So I just want to point this out because this is a, a killer of connection. When you're the one who doesn't have status and you're treated as if you're invisible or you don't matter, it can, it can hurt things. And people with status often do that because they don't know what it feels like. They've forgotten. You know, it's invisible for them. By definition, you know, they set the norms, right? So People with status and leaders in particular need to know that the role modeling that they're doing matters. And Kurt Lewin, who you brought up, Lauren, who's one of my absolute heroes, he's actually the grandfather of social psychology. He's the one that said, look, behavior is not only about personality and skill. It's about the situation that's influencing you. And the situation can help you get into your peak performance spot, right? It can get you into the sweet spot or it can keep you from being in the sweet spot. So what matters 
with norms is what we call the local environment, the local culture. So you're going to have a lot of local cultures in, in any organization. So it's this team, that team, they're each going to have a local culture and the norms get set in that. And what I often ask leaders to do, and this is what I've had really good luck with, is to ask their team, what kind of norms do you need? What kind of environment do we want to build? Okay. And then we figure out interventions that'll build that kind of environment. And it's social norms that define the situation that can either support us performing at our best or hurt us. So I think one of the things I'm most curious about is what is it about our environments that minimize our ability to use the broad range of coping and resilience and mental skills that got us here to keep us from moving forward? What can managers and leaders do to help us open up that environment, either with norms or other leadership strategies? This is a great question, Lauren. Nonverbal signals say everything. People don't realize the nonverbals that they're sending, but one of the things we know about how we perceive others is that we trust nonverbals way more than we trust words. So we treat people with status differently than people with less status. And when we're in meetings with leaders, we look them in the eye, we nod our heads, we agree with them, we focus on what they're saying. But too often, we don't do that when people with lower levels of status are talking. And it's a message that's sent loud and clear. So my favorite example is if we all want to check our phone at some point, we wait until there's someone of low status who's talking to pick up our phone or to open up our computer or to do a sidebar conversation. And this sends a signal that your social worth is somewhat low uh, and what you're saying doesn't matter to someone. I constantly talk with leaders about those nonverbals and setting norms about how we're going to listen and pay attention to one another, um, how we're going to receive one another when we're in meetings. I appreciate that concept so much of uh, role modeling and what you can see and how those nonverbal cues really direct behavior. And uh, I say it often to leaders and to managers, Googlers will see what you do before they ever hear what you say. And that's hard to do in a hybrid world. There's a variety of work environments and settings now and we have a growing global team. So there is this necessity of how do we set norms and role modeling behaviors by design and be intentional about what we want to accomplish and what that looks like. And it, it kind of brings us into this next question that Googlers are asking, how can we foster connection equity in a hybrid environment? We're in different countries, we're in different offices, some are home, some are in an office, some are traveling. There's a variety of things that are happening there, but how can you foster connection in the hybrid environment? First of all, it's interesting that that equity word is in there. It's an important word. And one of the things that I found is that when we're in a, a hybrid environment or when you're in a dispersed environment, this issue of equity is constant. 
in your mind. So it always appears that other people are more connected than you. The further you are away, you're going to feel more psychologically distant. And the equity already starts in question. If you can see people's faces, at least, you feel more connected. Still not ideal. But the, the other thing, an interesting piece of research that's just come out of Boston College and Arizona State is that you need to have very predictable periods of time where you're going to come together so that you know it's not happening without you. People care a lot about fairness. That's inbred in us. And so equity is about fairness. Are they getting more time with the leader or with others? People naturally fear that. You just have to be very intentional about your connection. It comes back to what you've talked about, Vanessa. And it's like, we've been so used to setting these norms of we're in an office together. And I think Google is a great example too, just because their offices are everything. I've been to some of them. Just the whole setup, the environment, everything is set around the norms that they want to establish and have happen in these natural collisions and people communicating and connecting and things. It's incredible. And so how do we go about setting new norms, right? Let's be real that like in this hybrid model where perhaps we are on video of what those are going to be. And I love what you talked about. It was consistency of timing and things like that, but really the currency of attention when the video is on, because the norms are different now than when you're sitting in a boardroom together. You guys get pings. You look at your other screen and you're typing and you're doing that. Your phone rings, whatever it may be. And, and, and it's very real. And I think we, we need to establish a bit of what those norms look like, but we also need to be comfortable recognizing that they are not the most stringent things. This isn't our, our natural environment that we have built to be the highest performer, but we, are, we have to be accepting and understanding as well that this is a new world that everyone's trying to figure out. And we're trying to identify what those norms might look like. And there is some trial and error. And we don't have to be so hard on ourselves. We want to do what's best for our employees because that is how you can get the most out of each person. You said something that I really want to go back to, and it's that transition to video and how our world is now on video. Now there's a visual story that allows us to connect and belong differently. There are things about our backgrounds that open up a world to belonging connection that we have never had when we were all in the office to be able to see where people live and work and their babies and their children on camera or their pets that creep in or across the desks or you know, I often refer to the plants that people have in their corners of their offices. Mm -hmm. What does that environment do to our connection and belongingness to each other? Yeah, that's a great question. I haven't seen any reliable research on it, but I've certainly talked to enough people about it and people love it. It gives them insights. It makes you more human, right? It tells me a little bit about you. And people really like that. And some people more than others, right? And some people don't care so much about, you know, the personal, they want more work information. I love what Brian said about how norms are not static. They need to be live things. They need to evolve. This is a perfect time for any sort of team leader to step back and say, what are our norms? Are they serving this new reality for us? Are they serving our global team members, people in different countries? My research shows that there's three buckets around which norms 
fall in high-performing teams. One bucket is about how we treat one another, how we get to know one another, how we demonstrate respect here, how we give one another feedback. Second bucket is all about the growth mindset, how we talk together about how are we performing now? What do we need as a team to perform better? We create a shared mental model of what reality is and how we can continually improve it, right? And then the third bucket is about our stakeholders, people above us in the hierarchy. Are we meeting their needs? Are our clients, our customers? And my best practice model, you need to have norms in those three buckets. Let the team decide what they want and then tweak it. Vanessa, I think it's so important that message that teams set the norms together and it's not just the leader setting the norms. We have internal tools here at Google where we encourage teams to set their norms together and then revisit them on a quarterly basis to see what has changed, what's working, what's not working, or where do we need to adapt and adjust based on the projects or the sprint or the upcoming deliverables and that team development of those norms is so critical for the long-term success. I agree with that completely. Yeah, that's, that's fabulous. It gives, gives the team a sense of control, which is important. Yeah, n- norms define what's normal, how we do things around here. The team can define it in a way that helps them to perform at their best. I'm glad you do that at Google. I appreciate that. And I think it's so important. We talk often about how resilience is dynamic and it's not stagnant. And what worked yesterday, it may not work next week. And we have to be willing to adapt and adjust to those things. And a little bit of the research from PyLab, our innovation lab on people research, they talk about connectedness and that we need to be connected in order to be effective, in order to be productive, and in order to be innovative so that we can offer up crazy ideas and know that they'll be well-received and built on or pivoted from and moved from. And then also retention. People want to stay on teams that are connected and that they have a sense of belonging. This has been a really fun conversation today. I've really enjoyed it. And I have two more questions. One question that Google has often asked us is, what can I do now? to make a difference or to increase my resilience? What is one strategy or one tool or one action that I can take today? I believe that there are a few things in this world that are are contagious. Optimism and gratitude is incredibly contagious. And I think the more opportunity that we have to share gratitude and to share optimism, and, and the awesome thing about that sharing is it doesn't have to be done in person. It can be done virtually. And I think the way that we go about hunting the good stuff in our lives and seeking out the silver linings is incredibly important. And so my advice and my, my skill would be hunt the good stuff, change the way that you interact and talk to others and the way that you talk to yourself. You know, hunting the good stuff is just asking yourself about three good things that happened to you today. You could start with two, you could start with one and they don't have to be these grandiose things. It can be I enjoyed the first sip of my cup of my coffee. If you're a parent, the fact that you get to finish your coffee is a huge win for you in that day and something that you can be very excited about. And then you add in other people. And so maybe it's about starting your meetings with just asking two people to share one good thing that happened with them. Ask a direct question because what it does is it piques curiosity, right? And it increases energy and, and connection. And it's a great way to fight the negativity bias. And I think it's, it's hugely important. I want to come back to a point I made earlier. 
we have these innate social needs. There are individual differences. Some people have greater desire to be with others and connect, and some have a little bit of a lesser desire, but we all have a desire to connect. So my advice is connect. Take the time. And if you're a leader, make time for your team members to connect. If you're an introverted leader, recognize that your leaders need to connect. Take that time. It's so valuable. It builds resilience. It builds trust. If you want to build trust, if you want to build psychological safety, you have to connect. And that requires the intention to connect. Yeah, we, we cultivate connections by intentionality. And we have to be very deliberate with that. And it becomes a pattern. It becomes a habit. It becomes a routine. And I want to answer this one too, just to share with you all. One of the things that we're doing at Google is we have a strategy, sort of a three question or three theme strategy for managers and leaders to look in, to look out and to look around. And so look in, how are you? How are you doing? How is your energy your thoughts? How's your attention going? Are you focused on the right priorities? Are you focusing your team on the right priorities? What's important now for you? Where do you need to be focused? And then secondly, look out. How are your people? Are you asking them? Are you checking in with your direct reports? Are you watching the patterns of your teams to see if things are off or different? Or are there ways that you can bring more connection intentionally into the conversation if it's absent. And then finally, look around. How is your community? We often forget that we're living in communities of people that we're involved with for a variety of ways. How are we involved with and engaging in our community outside of our family and outside of the workplace? And so that's our strategic look in, look out, and look around. And using that as a quick connection where do you need to be investing more time and energy? Thank you both for being here today. I've very much enjoyed this conversation. I'm realizing how important it is that we focus on building belongingness and connection with intentionality. And how important it is for managers and leaders of teams to create environments where that can happen. And so thank you for being here. Very excited about where we can start putting this into action. It's been my pleasure to spend time with both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks, Vanessa. What a blast. Thank you for listening to Resilience at Google. To learn more about the importance of connection and links to follow Vanessa's research and Brian's work, visit our show notes. Until our next episode, we hope that what you've just heard gives you ideas and tools to meet the moments that matter the most to you. This has been a production by the Resilience Team, headed up by our one and only host, Dr. Lauren Witt. Special thanks to our leaders, Brian Glasser and Fiona Ciccone, for sponsoring this project. And of course, thank you to our People Innovation Lab, or PyLab, led by Iwa Shiraco, for providing us with the data to inform this conversation. And we'd like to thank our partners over at Long Story Short Media, executive producers Jessica Stewart and Bob Yule, producer Josh Hall, and editor Andy Strassel for producing this podcast, recorded remotely on Google Meet. If you're interested in other conversations hosted by Google, check out our Talks at Google podcast, 
where great minds meet. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place and can be found wherever you find your favorite shows.